coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. Is Jackie Chan's magic over in Hong Kong? John Woo's Manhunt has a release date. Hong Kong Film Critics Society names their 2016 picks. And this week's films are Wong Kar Wai produced comedy See You Tomorrow, and Paul takes a swing at the Chinese animated film Monkey King Hero is Back. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting in sunny South Florida and sitting at his reviews desk at the See You Tomorrow bar is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Hi there, everyone. How's you doing, sir? Uh, it's going. Uh, things are going well. A couple of new uh, translating jobs. Uh, I can actually talk about this one because I didn't sign the NDA. I'm doing uh, Jeff Lau's new movie. Oh, excellent. Very good. Congratulations, twins. sir. Yeah, it's a twins movie, too. Very nice. A twins as in, like, uh, uh, what was the, what was that uh, Beacon Chang twins movie? Uh, 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 twins Effect? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, <laughs> no the oh, one where he, where he was twins. He was literal twins, right? Oh, God. Oh, um, what was that name? Leave Me Alone. Yes. Yeah. yeah <clears> so, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to hear your progress on how, the, how that goes. So, should be exciting. Yeah, uh, the film uh, I think it's called a uh, soccer killer. It's a, it's a or killer soccer, whatever. It's a period piece. Um, it's been done for a while, but apparently it's finally getting released uh, in a month or in a couple months, maybe. Yeah. So I've just been brought onto the subtitles. Um, so yeah, uh, I can talk about when the film comes out. I think. Yeah, very and well, it will. That'll be great. That'll be great. I mean, have you looked at the script? Already, or do you have any idea just roughly what it's about? Is it comedy, drama, thriller? I've watched a screener already. I actually have a screener. Um, it's a very much a period comedy. Um, okay. It's yeah, the information's out there. It's 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 uh, yeah, it's a period comedy, and and the twins are in it, and that's about all I can say. I think. Okay, so uh, both Charlene and Jillian are in it. Yes, they're both in it, and it's very much a Jeff Lau. Uh, comedy in that in that uh, you know the mole tau stuff and um, I I don't it, I well okay I'm not gonna creep okay I'm not gonna <laughs> it, it it is a whether you like it or not it's a Jeff Lau film that's mm. all I can say well I te- yeah. I, te- I tend to like comedies and period comedies so I'm looking forward to it I'll say, I'll leave it at that until I get to see it um, so excellent very good well uh, I, as we talked about I think on the last episode. My hope was to be talking about Railroad Tigers this week, Jackie Chan's film, which was released here in limited release in the States. Uh, They had it playing down at a theater in Miami. And when it came time to check the screening times, when I was able to go, they had it down to like two screenings a day. And neither of the times worked really well because of the fact that I would have had to drive a round trip for three hours to get down to the cinema. 
Um, so it was like an hour and a half down and then an hour and a half back. And it's a two hour plus movie, just over two hours. So that's like a five hour investment in total and trying to square that with, you know, the things I have to do here and, you know, picking the daughter up from school or getting ready for dinner, that kind of stuff. It just didn't pan out time wise. So unfortunately, I did not get a chance to see Railroad Tigers, and I think Kevin's got a news piece a little bit later on that maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the news section. Um, another thing, though, that has been occupying quite a bit of my time, and Kevin had introduced me to the to one of these um, in a, one of our final shows back in December, and that is streaming television. Um, now, Netflix, we've talked um, at length about Netflix and the pros and cons of Netflix. But one thing I've noticed uh, within the last year, 2016, particularly in the last half of 2016, I'd say, is the uptick in off different stream offerings now. And so Kevin had mentioned DirecTV Now, which I guess is, is an offshoot of the cable provider DirecTV. And so they have this streaming service that you could sign up for, and you can basically stream you know, lots of cable channels depending on the package you get pretty much in real time. And so I signed up um, pretty much just to get the free Apple TV <laughs> and to give it a try because <laughs> they had this offer where if you sign up for three months, they'll give you a new a new generation Apple TV for free, and you, you obviously get the service. So I've been playing with the service. There are a couple channels that uh, I wanted to watch, mostly, mostly political news channels. My big disappointment is that in terms of the app, because I'm using it on an iPad, the stability is not very good. Um, I, a couple of the shows that my wife and I were watching together, um, such as uh, well, Superstore, for example, we'd watch and the app would crash halfway and we'd have to reload. And sometimes uh, the other big disappointment I have is that they have a thing called Rewind, which you're supposed to be able to go back and watch like the last 48 hours of a channel, but it, they don't apply it to all channels. So especially the news channels like um, MSNBC and Fox News and things. Um, there are particular shows that I like to watch within those channels themselves rather than just having the channel on all the time. Um, so if I want to go on CNBC and watch, for example, Mad Money, uh, I can't go back and watch it. They don't store it in their rewind service for those channels. So I pretty much have to watch them in real time, which for me kind of defeats the purpose of streaming in the first place. You know, you kind of want to have a some kind of on-demand function. And I think this is something that a lot of the services are trying to work out and they're struggling with perhaps because of rights issues and also maybe because of the, the storage and the tech that's required. And maybe this is something that they'll sort of iron out going forward. So DirecTV now for me, for, for what I want to use it for, hasn't really panned out as well as I'd hoped. I, I may not stick with it once the initial trial run is up. The other service I've been using, though, quite extensively of late is Vicky.com, which um, if you listen to podcast on fire, I had mentioned this during the Christmas episode is sort of the Christmas present that I got for my wife. Um, so we could watch the new Jenji Hoon drama, Legend of the Blue Sea, which is pretty much running in real time um, with, I guess, how they're being released in Korea, which is pretty cool. There's a bit of a delay, I guess, because they do have to throw in some of the subtitles, the English subtitles in there. But, I mean, this is something that I wish we had more of. It's great if you really love Korean dramas. 
I'm okay for some Korean dramas, and I'll pretty much watch anything that Jun Ji-hun is in, and so will my wife. We're not sure if we're going to stick with the subscription service beyond once we get past this drama. We might drop it and, and come back if there's something we want to watch. But they do have uh, Korean movies there. They have some Chinese movies there. I guess there are a lot of mainland titles. I don't really recognize any of them. It looks like some of them are like from 2014 and 2012 and um, things that pretty much were relegated to mainland China, I guess. But their primary focus is Korean uh, Korean dramas and Korean movies for now. The other thing that's popped up recently too that I'd make mention of is Sling. Now Sling TV has been trying to be a competitor with Hulu and with Netflix over here in the States for a while, but recently Sling.com offered an international package, which I find very interesting. Um, the international package you can pick is based on the language of the international package that you want. And currently on offer, they have a Cantonese language package, they have a Mandarin language package, and a Taiwanese language package. And each of those are separate subscriptions, and they have sub-subscriptions within those subscriptions, you know, sort of a small, medium, and large size that you can, you can sign up for. So the Cantonese package, for example, uh, gets you TVB, and you can live stream TVB stuff. Now here too I think it works a little bit like DirecTV now where it's pretty much live streaming. You, I don't think they have an option for uh, sort of like a DVR option or a, an on-demand option but if you're somebody who really wants to keep up with what's going on on you know in terms of TVB dramas uh, this might be an option. I don't think there's any kind of subtitling options though outside of um, Chinese because this is being geared at uh, overseas language speakers pretty much but if you're pretty competent in in Cantonese that might be a thing for you there's like I said there's a Mandarin one which lists a variety of mainland Chinese channels and there's a Taiwanese one which has uh, channels from Taiwan and respective shows from there so that might be something if you're looking to try and keep up with television media and pop culture from you know from uh, any of these regions uh, I think it's pretty interesting that they're offering these sort of separate targeted packages. And I'm I'm debating <laughs> whether I want to go with the Cantonese one or not. I mean, we kind of stopped watching TVB dramas for a while, but uh, maybe we'll go back at some point. Um, yeah, it'd be I'd like to keep up with some of the news programs and and things like that as well. Uh, so this might be an option that uh, that I get on board with. And I remember Kevin, if you remember last year, one of his news segments too, um, or no, he posted this on Facebook. He was, you, you said something to the extent where Netflix is going to be getting a lot of uh, of the uh, MediaCorp TV dramas and shows and putting them up on Netflix um, in 2017. That's right. Um, so. Yeah, that's right. I actually spoke to a uh, uh, friend, friend of the show, Marcus Sparberg, about that when I saw him in Singapore because he, he works in MediaCorp, so I asked him about the deal. Actually, this is um, the first batch of the... Uh, so I know you're a big fan of the uh, Channel 5 show, right? Tanlin. Yes. Um, the English name show, yeah. But um, but apparently the first batch of shows will be the Channel 8 stuff, which is the Chinese dramas. Um, but I recently checked Toggle, which is the MediaCorp website, and it seems like they have actually taken off the region restriction on on some of their shows i watched a full episode of the news actually after we talked about lulu the movie i wanted to watch the news and I actually went to the website and i watched the entire episode 
Um, so I haven't checked if the the original series, um, the Channel Five stuff, have been unlocked. But I can at least tell you that some of the shows on the Media Corp website toggle are actually unlocked uh, for international mm. audiences. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to go back and check because I do know that when I tried to sign up for Toggle, they have a they have their own app and they have their own. You, it's I guess it's like a paid subscription as well. Um, you can't sign up for it unless you have a Singapore ID, um, which right. is very restrictive. So that'll be interesting. I'll have to go back and experiment and see, you know, just how, how how much of the restriction they've pulled off there. Yeah, I didn't have to register for it, so um, so it worked. So I think I, I think from what I hear is that they're um, trying to open up things uh, at Togo without going into too much about what Marco says that should be off the record. Right. But yeah, uh, it seems like they're opening up uh, quite a bit more. And of course, the Netflix deal um, is sort of uh, indicative of how much faith they have in or how much faith that Media Corp still has in Togo succeeding, at least uh, on, a, on a, I guess, as a website, as a, as a video platform. Right. But actually interesting that you were talking about DirecTV now because last week I started, I signed up for this um, a service that doesn't use VPN but rather DNS uh, to access, um, say, American Netflix and also um, uh, uh, Amazon and other video sites in the States. And I actually got it set up on my Apple TV and I've been man- I've been watching um, DirecTV now live streaming on my television instead of off my uh, iPad or off my iPhone. So it's been great. I just, I you know, I sat there and I and I started channel surfing and I was watching like a reality show about barbecue masters. <laughs> um, I think my life has just become like uh, I think my sofa. I'm gonna need to get a new sofa because I think I'm just you know, breaking my sofa, spending so much time on there, mm. <laughs> just watching TV. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so it's cool. Um, also, I've gotten you know, like I said, I've gotten access to American Netflix. I swear, it's like I can get American programming like this. So this this kind of thing, these cable cable cutters, uh, wire cutters, or whatever you call these, um, they're certainly working. Um, I hope that I can actually convince my parents to switch to. Um, cable cutter as well because they're at the house um, most of the day um, and I'm sure they would like to you know cut down on the cable bill uh, uh, so so maybe I'll try and convince them about Sling. Do you know if Sling has a Korean or Japanese programs? Um, you know I didn't look. I, let me see if I can pull up the uh, the website really quick. I mean, my mother mainly watch. Uh, well, my, my dad obviously watched TVB, but TVB USA. Uh, well, last time I went back, it's just filled with infomercial, and the programs are still way behind. And I think they would sort of like to get a taste of home, uh, uh, Hong Kong, by watching. I mean, they would rather watch live TVB, which has a lot less of these crappy infomercials and crappy advertisements. Um, the, the only other concern is that my mom watches Japanese television as well, um, so it would. You know, she would also need her 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 uh, dose of Japanese TV every day. But I don't think the Japanese put their programs on on live streaming the way that TVB no, are doing. From from the international offerings they currently have, they have Hindi, Cantonese, Italian, German, Polish, Arabic, Urdu, Mandarin, Banga, Bangla, uh, Taiwanese, Bengali, Brazilian, uh, Kannada, Malayan, Maharathi. Punjabi, Tamil, Telugu, Vietnamese, and what they call world sports. 
So huh. um, quite a few. It looks like uh, Indian um, and Indian dialects, Malayan. So they've got obviously got a, a channels out of Malaysia um, and Vietnamese, but uh, no Korean, no Japanese, no Thai channels as yet. Um, well, it looks like know. I just sort of get my uh, I sort of get my parents hooked on uh, Brazilian TV. <laughs> sure. Yeah, or you know, uh, maybe maybe uh, just uh, get them one of the uh, Indian dialect channels, and they can watch, uh, you know, Shah Rukh Khan or something, right? Oh, they would never share my love for Shah Rukh. <laughs> All right. Well, that's they just don't understand. Yeah, it's it's a it's an acquired taste to be sure. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's just a quick update of some of the things that uh, we talked a little bit about last year and some of the developments that we've seen. And I, I, for me, I'm excited with uh, the the way that this is going and the options that are now available. And hopefully, uh, again, we'll get some added technology and some added features going forward in 2017 and into 2018. And if you're out there and you're using this and you've got any experiences you want to share with us, do drop us a line and tell us what you think. If you like these services, if you don't like them, um, or if there are things that, uh, you know, you really enjoy about them or things that you think, you know, that they're, they're just terrible and they're, they're not worth the investment. All right, let us get into our regular features for this week, starting off with our news. So I'll throw the talking stick back over to Kevin at his news desk. Here at the news desk, uh, first news, um, we were talking about railroad tires just now. Um, It actually hasn't done very well in China, um, but it's pretty much confirmed that it's a total flop here in Hong Kong. Uh, It opened, uh, let me double check my my numbers here, but it opened on a number of screens uh, last weekend. I went to watch it. and uh, actually did quite terribly. Um, it's probably one of Jackie Chan's lowest openings ever. Um, I mean, the film actually didn't do very well in China because um, it had huge competition. It has very bad word of mouth, include and, and also the casting of J.C. Chan, which they tried to hide, uh, very, very hard to hide, um, uh, uh, really apparently did not sit well with with uh chinese audiences considering his uh his past indiscretions um but yeah from um 24 locations 24 cinemas the film only made 57,000 well 57,600 US dollars um which is a very very low number considering that it opened at 24 cinemas when i watched it last week uh, there were only about i think 20 people on a friday night so um yeah uh but it's not really news that Jackie Chan movies don't do well here anymore. I mean, at least um, the thing is, Twelve Zodiacs did do okay. Um, it made more than ten Hong Kong, ten million Hong Kong dollars uh, opening in around the Christmas period, so so that's okay. But Railroad Tiger is truly a new low. Um, it was never going to be easy sell. I mean, it's a remake of a propaganda film. Um, it's it's completely Mandarin, and and all the other stars are all. Um, mainly only appeal to mainland audiences and it's just you know hong kong people naturally has are allergic to uh uh, uh, to 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 you know mandarin movies or even mainland chinese movies so so it was never really going to do well but yeah um i know that you know people keep talking about how you know jackie chan instead of hong kong blah blah blah, but i think i think uh it's quite clear that he is no longer in the favor or yeah in the favor of hong kong people 
And I mean, it's in, in a way kind of interesting that he this is being released and not doing so well at this time period, especially considering he just got awarded, um, you know, the, what was it? The, uh, the honorary Oscar. Yeah. Um, which is good. I mean, I think it's 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 a well-deserved award for him. But I do think that maybe his, you know, we've talked about this before, the direction he's going now with films and still being so sort of Jackie-centric um, with a lot of his films, I think, you know, maybe it's time for him to step back a little bit more and, and let uh, some of the younger actors shine and take up more of a supporting role in stuff that he directs and produces and continues to, to put out there. Well, what what he's doing with um, Railroad Tigers and also also his next film, uh, Kung Fu Yoga, is he's matching up with these uh, young uh, idol actors. So, for example, you have a uh, you have uh, uh, Wang Jitao in uh, Railroad Tigers, who was a former member of um, a Korean boy band named EXO. He's a Chinese person. Obviously, it was a half Chinese, half Korean boy band, but he's a you know it was a huge huge successful group he is and exo is still a huge successful group in, in korea but yeah so Tao obviously has a, has a or tao as, as he's known um obviously has a huge fan base and that was their way of trying to get the younger younger audience um kung fu yoga also has um uh lei uh, a current member although again chinese current member of exo and also Eric Lee, who or Eric Raman, who um, has actually become quite popular in in China thanks to his period drama Fan Bingbing. So um, he's he's kind of trying to use make it more than above about himself. Or in other words, he's trying to attract um, uh, fans of other actors to go watch his film. In other words, he's not sort of the only brand that he's trying, or he's not the big big brand name that he's trying to sell. Um, of course, these people, you know, barely make a dent in the Hong Kong box office because I mean, EXO does have a following here. Of course, um, they're like the most popular Korean boy band right now. Um, but I don't know if if that strategy would work as well here in Hong Kong because idol movies tend to not they don't pull in, even though they keep trying to release this idol movie as if you know they make a ton of money. They actually aren't. As successful as as most people would think here in Hong Kong, so um, it, it's kind of interesting. What I, I wonder whether Jackie Chan will really sort of shift his strategy, especially after um, uh, Railroad Tiger didn't do so well, and I'm not sure what what's going to happen in Kung Fu Yoga, um, especially with um, you, you got the Journey to the West movie. You got such huge competition coming up in New Year's, and Chinese audience may only be tired of Jackie Chan. We'll have to uh, wait and see. So maybe he can pull a little bit more of his uh, Jackie Chan magic out in some future films. Speaking of Chinese New Year, uh, you've got a bit of news about John Woo's Manhunt. Yes, uh, John Woo's Manhunt, which we talked about before. It was rumored to be coming out this Chinese New Year, which was way, way off. Sorry about that. Um, uh, they held an official press conference, so immediately. Asia held an official press conference on Saturday in Beijing, announcing that the film is officially opening on February, I think, 16th or 18th, um, or next Chinese New Year, 2018. We get a new drama movie, and uh, if you watch, if you, if you follow my Twitter, you see that I post a link to the uh, leaked camcorded teaser from the press conference, 
And you know, it's old school John Woo, man. Have you, have you did you watch the the teaser I posted on my Twitter? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. No, you haven't. Okay, yeah. Um, it looks like an old school John Woo movie, man. I mean, it is doves. You have to let the people, you know, woman in kimono firing guns. You have um a villain wearing leather. Uh, of course, the old school silencer sounds. The guns, the silencer guns. It, it is just. It is gonna be awesome um the film stars Zhang is a remake of an old japanese film uh, also named manhunt um that film is about uh, it stars takakura ken uh, or ken takakura who is a frame for murder and has to clear his name the the new version of manhunt is pretty much the same it's set in osaka japan and it stars Zhang Yu as an international lawyer who has to clear his name after his frame for murder and it stars um um musician Saharu fukuyama um as a cop who is hunting him down. So um, again, if you haven't seen the teaser, go to my Twitter, click on a link, and just hear those, you know that you know the the silencer sound. I mean, it's, it is John Woo is back. I think. Um, hopefully, this one won't disappoint. Um, really looking forward to this one. All right, we will look forward to it. Final bit of news this week: um, the Hong Kong Film Critics Society has released their 2016 picks. So, Kevin. Since they don't publish in English, can you take us through the list? Yeah, um, so the uh, Hong Kong Film Critics Society, every year they get together and they, they, they announce or they get into a huge meeting. Um, this year it was seven hours to decide um, their picks um, and their definition of a 2016 Hong Kong film are films that have been shown in Hong Kong for uh, five shows within the same week, public shows, obviously, Um uh, between January 1st and December 31st, 2016. So there were 68 films um, uh, eligible. Uh, best film went to Trevisa. She had a tie between Stephen Chow for Mermaid and Wan Chun for uh, uh, Mad World, which um, did have the five you know, required screenings back in, uh, I think, November or December, but won't be opening in Hong Kong until um, March. Um, it is actually one of my favorite films uh, from last year as well, Asian films at least. Best screenplay also went to Mad World, uh, Florence Chan. Um, and actor went to Lam Ka Tong. Lam Ka Tong. Actress uh, went to uh, Zhou Dongyu for Soulmate, which we've talked about here on the show. Now, the um, discussion, uh, like I said, went for seven hours, and some of the first round picks included for best film it, it was uh, Trevisa, Mad Pro, Mermaid, Soulmate, and Johnny Toast Free. Um, I think at the end, according to the uh, Critics Society statement, um, in the end, it came down to uh, Mad World, Mermaid, and Trevisa. And and as the winning went, it went to Trevisa, which I think is very well deserved. Um, for best director, it came down to uh, Stephen Chow, Wan Chun, and uh, Soulmate. But after um, three rounds of voting, uh, they they would have to be a tie between Stephen Chow and Wan Chun. For best actor, the final choices were Lam Ka Tong, uh, Sean Yu for Mad World, uh, Gerd Holman for Trevisa, uh, Eric Zhang for Mad World. Uh, he plays uh, uh, Sean Yu's dad in the film. Liu Kai Chi for uh, uh, Call of Heroes. Um, and in the end, it went to uh, Lam Ka Tong for best... Uh, oh, they also have a number of recommended films. Let's see, they usually choose about 8 to 10, but um, the fact that they only chose 6 uh, actually a lot about what they thought about Hong Kong film last year. Um, uh, those films are Mad World, uh, Mermaid, Soulmate, Blue Fire, a uh, documentary named 
Nago, which was uh, which premiered at the uh, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival, and uh, Wong Kar Wai film, or the one that we'll be talking about soon. See you tomorrow. Uh, the reasoning, let's see, for for um, uh, Travisa, they praised the film for its um, uh, riveting rhythm, um, and and the way that the three young directors carried uh, Milky Way's uh, usual you know theme of karma. Um, and 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 how um, actually how timely it feels uh, for Mermaid, their 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 um, best director. They praised uh, Stephen Chow's uh, using his com- usual comedic style or using a very fairy tale style, a cartoonish style. Uh, as for Wan Chun, the best director, they uh, praised um, Wan Chun for being able to make such a multi layer film um, uh, and using a very you know doing such a solid job on this uh, first film and uh, under a very low budget. Um, for Lum Ka Tung, uh, they, the Critics Society praised uh, his performance as, again, multidimensional, um, playing a thief with sort of humanity, um, and, and being able to very subtly convey the, the coldness of the character. Now for Zhou Dong Yu, uh, Zhou Dong Yu, like I said uh, last time for the review, it's a very, very eye-catching role. It's definitely not a, not a surprise that she won. Um, so the Critics Society praised her for for um, uh, being uh, for a very emotional. Essentially, it's it's a perfect um, blending. Or it's a perfect showing of of how an actor can disappear directly into a completely into a role, um, which I generally agree with. So yeah, Paul, um, you've seen uh, at least a few of these films. I you seen Mermaid, I think. Uh, the Johnny Toe film, Trevisa. What do you think about what? Well, what do you think about 2016's Hong Kong films? It kind of seems like the usual suspects that you would expect. It wasn't a really big year um, in terms of the amount of films released, so you could kind of tell going in which ones you might expect to get this kind of uh, you know this kind of call out from the the association. I'm a bit surprised to see Mermaid on there. I mean, I think it's a great film. I just don't think it's in the same caliber in terms of you know because it it is for me you know it's a return to classic Stephen Chow but it is a little bit it just doesn't feel that fresh in some ways right it's it's again like a step above uh, CJ7 where they went for um, you know tried and true gags but catered a little bit more for uh, a mainland audience um, you you do feel his hand and his kind of humor throughout and it's a great film I just don't know if it's on par with uh, uh, you know best film categorization uh, but that's just my thought I mean and and it's hard for me to say too because I still haven't seen a couple of these films like um, um, the Zodong Yu film and Mad World um, but you've seen them all so at this point in time, I mean, what 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 is your pick? What what would be your thought if you're, you know, sitting there on the jury? Oh, I I completely agree with Trim. Um, I'm surprised that you know actually no, I'm not surprised by any of this. I mean, Trevisa really deserves the best film, and um, like I said, I actually like you, Paul. I'm actually quite surprised by the love that. Stephen Chow got for Mermaid. I didn't realize that there's so much fans of Mermaid among Hong Kong film critics. I think, like I said, it's a very much return to form for Stephen Chow, and I've seen the film, you know, quite a few times, and I, I love it for what it is. Um, but it was not my top ten films of the year, and I would not even say it's a particularly great film. It's a very funny film. It's a very Stephen Chow film, but it's not among 
um, his best. And I didn't realize that it, he even sort of had to compete, that Wong shouldn't even had to compete, or or that the, the three directors of Trevisa wasn't in the final round of voting. Quite surprised. I mean, it was amazing the way that Yuki Wei put essentially different films into one. And um, uh, the other awards, I think Long Cotton was an inspired choice, although I, uh, for acting, I liked Eric Zhang in, in Mad World more. Um, um, and Zhou Dongyu, I mean, I praised Zhou Dongyu here before, and, and I do not disagree with that choice at all. Um, I'm just surprised about the love of Soulmate as a film. I mean, it was in the, it was one of the first films brought up. It was also mentioned for uh, Best Director. I think it's an okay film, but um, I just can't really feel the love for it um for some reason maybe i don't know maybe i'm just biased or something i don't know uh but yeah oh no it's not a terrible list um it's uh auto see you tomorrow as a recommended film as you see um i do not particularly agree with that choice okay so you can head over to the film critics website and take a look there of course you'll they don't have an english version so you will have to use your best uh Chinese literacy skills to try and uh, peruse through some of the Chinese and you can see of course some of the uh, stills from each of the films mentioned uh, as they talk about them and it'll be you know interesting going forward from here to seeing how things line up for the Hong Kong Film Awards a bit later this year and of course the most important awards the Love HK Film Awards whenever those roll around Um, all right let us take a short break and we'll be back to talk about our films for this week, starting up with Kevin's review of See You Tomorrow. And welcome back. Our first review for East Screen this week. Kevin's going to take us through the Wong Kar Wai penned and produced See You Tomorrow. That's right. Uh, See You Tomorrow is um, a, a sh- based on a short story, adaptation of a short story, um, uh, written by a writer uh, named Zhang Jiajia. Uh, I think Zhang Jiajia was actually an actor, um, but he became sort of a novelist and his, his short stories became a huge hit on Weibo or on internet and he compiled it all into this book called I Belong to You. Now, I Belong to You actually was adapted into a film uh, late last year. I think it was uh, last uh, October by director Zhang Yibai and um, it was also actually the script was written by Zhang Jiajia and it also includes some of these same characters uh, in Chan Mo for example, or Guanchen. So this film, See Tomorrow, is actually a, a adaptation of one of these short stories called Fairy Man. Um, now, the short story is actually a lot more serious. Um, uh, it's also fairly vague. It's all written completely in first uh, first person. Um, and the narrator is Zhang Jiajia himself. Of course, Zhang Jiajia is not a character in this film, thank God, uh, because we don't need another self-involved uh, uh, writer, uh, you know, like, like um, what's his name? The Tiny tiny Times guy. Guo Jingming, yeah. Oh, you know, actually, this film has gotten such bad word of mouth that people are now comparing Zhang Jiajia. Um, they say that Zhang Jiajia has made sure that 
uh, 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 Guo, Guo Jingming does not take the throne of crappy writer turned director throne by himself. Essentially, he's a new Guo Jingming, which is quite a terrible name if you're a writer trying to be a director in China. Um, anyway, so what happened is that in, in the way of on the way of, of adapting this film for, you know, adapting a short story for film, he, he approached Wang Kar Wai and he told Wang Kar Wai that he wanted to uh, essentially make a, um, uh, a Wang Kar Wai film, but in this, uh, essentially, a, I think, uh, in the Move for Love style of uh, ego sh- shooting heroes. So Wang Kar Wai signed on and decided to co-write and also produce this film. Um, the story, uh, bar owner Chun Mo, Tony Learn, played by Tony Learn. Chu Wai, not not Kafai, and uh, his landlord Guan Chun, played by Takashi Kaneshiro, are legendary ferrymen, uh, people who help the brokenhearted move on to the other shore. Uh, they own a bar called uh, "See You Tomorrow" in Shanghai. Um, girl next door, Xiao Yu, uh, played by Angela Baby, uh, seeks their advice when she decides to get over his devastating breakup. Meanwhile. Guan Chun faces his own crisis when an old fame paid by Sandri Pina returns without any memory of their time together. All the while, Chen Mo must find a way to ferry himself to the other shore, away from his memories of bartender He Muzi, played by Du Juan. Um, like I said, this is the directorial debut of this writer. Um, the film fought, shot for 10 months up there in, in uh, Shanghai, and I I actually heard both sources telling me that this is pretty much more of a Wong Kar film more cars on set from beginning to end um and and um at one point Zhang Jiajia even actually suffered a heart attack um he also wrote 118 drafts of the script um but in the end it, it seems like one car was the one who who, who um called out the shots on set and and put together uh the final product uh pretty much more than uh Zhang Jiajia um the episodic structure the slow motion reduced frame rate shots you know what i mean once you see it uh the re- reliance on um voiceovers these are all very signature Wong Kar Wai style and it's really hard to sort of and, and and even if it's not Wong Kar Wai really behind all this it's very much an imitation of Wong Kar Wai it is at least the closest uh imitation of a Wong Kar Wai film um the film is being touted as Jet Tong's 25th anniversary film which makes sense actually because this is a um it makes sense that the 25th anniversary film is a comedy since Jet Tong's first film was actually Eagle Shooting Heroes, which is also um, a, a, a very wild sort of over-the-top comedy. The problem is that See You Tomorrow reminds you just how funny Jeff Lau is. Um, the problem is that Wong Kar Wai is not a comedy person. I mean, he's he's a great collaborator with Jeff Lau, for example, with Chinese Odyssey um, 2002 film. Um uh, Wong Kar Wai actually said that he co-wrote and actually even directed some of the parts of the film. But at the end of the day, he's working with Jeff Lau, who is a very, very funny director, who also writes um, a really great romances. Um, but the problem is Wong Kar Wai is not a comedy person. Neither is Zhang Jia Jia. Zhang Jia Jia, if you read his stories, uh, he's very much a fan of Wong Kar Wai and he's pretty much an imitator of Wong Kar Wai. And the two end up relying on chaos and overacting to get laughs and a lot of it is almost like you know you keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and see which one sticks and you can tell okay it's so Dante okay it's well cooked but a lot of it don't don't stick to the wall and just keep throwing it to the wall um however Takeshi Kaneshiro seems to be the one that gets it I mean he really overacts here it's it's I don't think I've, I've seen Takeshi Kaneshiro 
go this crazy before in a film. I mean, he's played, he's been in comedies before. So maybe perhaps in the mid nineties when he's starting up, when he was doing his idol phase, maybe he did these sort of films. But I haven't seen him do do these this sort of uh, uh, comedy overacting. Um, so I, I actually like it a lot. But you know, that's knowing, having seen Takashi Kaneshiro play these these serious role for so many years. Um, to seem like that for me is refreshing, but I can see why many people will find that grating. Um, I love the old themes, you know, unrequited love, um, things like that. They all, a lot, some of these do resonate, and, and you know, the film has its share of moments. But the thing is, the story, which is very episodic, like I said, it jumps between these three stories um, without many real link to each other. Um, so you have you have you have Tony Leung with his flashback, and then suddenly you jump to about 20, 25 minutes of Angela Baby with Ethan Chan, and then you jump back to uh, Takashi Kaneshiro's plot with Sandra Pina, and then you know the other people would disappear for long stretches of time. Um, so the story are pretty much all over the place, and and there are about several set pieces too many that run way too long, um, and they just didn't know when to stop. The film runs a very long 128 minutes, and, and you know, the film is so in your face that, you know, it doesn't feel boring, but it does feel a bit tiring by the time you get get to the end. Um, but, like I said, there are, are shared scenes, and there are shared laughs, there are some, you know, funny moments, and it is funnier than A Chinese Odyssey Part 3. Um, so if um, if you are a um, not a Wong Kar Wai fan, um, this is pretty much as com- well because he's an art house. If you don't like him because he's an art house director, this is pretty much as commercial as Wong Kar Wai is ever going to get. Um, but I also think it's one of Jet Tone's worst films. Um, is it worth a watch? I mean, I think all Wong Kar Wai films are worth a watch, and I've seen this twice now. The first time I watched it in Singapore. Um, it was completely in Mandarin, and, uh, and Tony Wong was the uh, was dubbed in Mandarin by another actor. So when I saw it a second time, I saw it in Cantonese. So there was that feeling of familiarity already hearing Tony Leung's voice. Um, even though they do this really annoying thing where they switch from Cantonese to, to Mandarin within the same sentence all the time. Like suddenly in one scene, um, so for example, Tony Leung was speaking cantonese for the first couple of lines suddenly he would just switch to mandarin for no reason um and same for angela baby and same for Ethan chan um i guess this this film ignores the rule that everyone should just speak speak in their own language and assume the other person understands this this film does not follow that you know cardinal hong kong cinema rule um but you know, so so second time for me, it was a bit better, but it's still, I think, it's still one of Jet Tong's worst films. Um, I would have rather seen all these stories actually told as straight dramas, a straight drama, a uh, straight romantic drama at least. Um, you know, to have that sort of Wong Kar Wai feeling, but I guess it would still be criticized as a Wong Kar Wai imitation. But I don't see how you know that's a bad thing. I mean, if anything, you know, people want more of that Wong Kar Wai stuff. I don't think people really ask for this. Wong Kar Wai comedy and it's it's so that's why I completely understand why it's done so badly actually in in China um um really terrible word of mouth has pretty much killed the film um which costs way too much money to recoup by now so yeah that that's it for Ferryman or see you tomorrow so uh, you know you there is obviously comparison as you mentioned to Jet Tone's uh, Eagle Shooting Heroes which I've always loved 
as sort of a raucous comedy, but also as a critique on the idea of the sort of gumyong fantasy esque wushu genre, right? Um, is this you know is this film and and f- by by comparison, the Chinese Odyssey two thousand and two, um, in some ways, is a parody critique on Huang Mei Cantonese opera films and 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 Chinese opera films. It, is this trying to, in the same way, be a critique on romantic comedies? Is 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 it that? Is it going after that kind of theme, or is it just a simple story in terms of, you know, trying to be a comedy but not really being a commentary? Well, obviously, it, it has this dramatic portion. I mean, it is a one carbine romance part of it. Uh, and again, a lot of it's unrequited love, and there's a lot of, you know, people staring out and, you know, wistfully um, and I mean, is it, is longing it... and yearning. But but no, I don't think it really comment, comments on the genre right. itself. So it's, it's, not, very much a... it's not like going after the Tiny Times movies and, and uh, you know, um, the, you know, the Sophie's Revenge kind of, you know, modern comedies in any way or shape or form right it's just there no in fact i would say it's a self-indulgent as those films Mm. um which is a major problem and again there's you know a lot of it is is so removed from reality you know a lot of it is really removed from reality especially this whole obsession in this film of drinking um um jang jaja has you know talked about you know, always talks about drinking on his Weibo and how he was drinking with Wong Kar while writing the script. And the film has has a real there's a 15 minute long sequence um, where two of the characters drinking marathon across nine bars in the city, and they they're faced with these crazy drinking challenges that make you wonder: it, Are Chinese people just immune to alcohol poisoning? Like it, it's it very and and if you if if you know Chinese people, it is actually very much a cultural thing that the way they they use drinking as a as um, proof of their machismo, or as a proof of their ability, a proof of how tough they are. And and you know about that culture, and you hate that culture. You would, I think, there's an extra reason for you to hate this film or the way that it approaches certain things. And um, I think it's a very I don't think one car. I mean, that's what John Jaja brings to the table. That sort of connection to the mainland audience, but. At the same time, is that is very much that that artistic or that you know self indulgence that also killed it with the audiences. So I find that very ironic. So you know, in in summary, what we've learned is that uh, if they want to do comedies, Jeff Lau and Wong Kar Wai need to do it together and not apart. <laughs> <laughs> I think we learned that for the last year. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, regardless, I'm still looking forward to seeing this because I do have an affinity for comedies. And, of course, it's always great to see um, people like Tony Lung and Takeshi Kaneshiro get together and, and goof around a bit. So um, this will definitely be on my watch list once it hits some form of video platform. When we come back, a West screen slash East screen film, which I'll be talking about. Uh, not a new film, but one I had hoped to talk about last year and I didn't get to. And I thought, well... Since I didn't get out to see Jackie Chan's Railroad Tigers, why not talk about another Jackie Chan film? And that is this film, uh, Monkey King Hero is Back. So for our West Screen review slash East Screen, Monkey King Hero is Back. This is from director Tian Xiaopeng. Uh, This is the U.S. version that I'm going to be talking about. It has been dubbed 
in English uh, with the lead role of Monkey being voiced by none other than Jackie Chan. Uh, fans of cinema should also recognize James Hong, veteran actor and voice actor, uh, as in a small role here as the old monk. Um, the story here is a retelling of sorts of part of the Monkey King tale. 500 years after being imprisoned under Five Finger Mountain, Monkey King is freed by a young monk who is attempting to rescue an infant from mountain trolls. Monkey initially wants nothing to do with the two children, but he ends up helping the boy escort the young infant back to her village and ultimately facing off against the troll's evil lord. So if that sounds strange and it doesn't sound like what you'd expect from a sort of Monkey King story, you'd be correct because, um, yeah, this isn't really about a journey to the West per se. You do have this young boy named Liuer who's who frees Monkey King. He's not really, they give him a little bit of backstory, but they don't really say that he is, you know, Xuanzang, the, the monk who's supposed to go fetch scriptures or anything. He is a sort of a monk in training, um, an orphan child. And that's about all we get in terms of his backstory. They do meet up with uh, both a river dragon uh, and uh, Chupakai Piggy, uh, as, as he's known. And, and they do fight um, this demon lord who I'll talk a little bit about. But mostly it's them fighting these creatures, which I guess in the Chinese version would be referred to as demons, um, but are translated here as trolls, which just seems kind of weird and, and odd. Um, the animation opening sequence, which starts out with the havoc in heaven, is very stylistic. Um, it's somewhat akin to the narrative story sequences of the first Kung Fu Panda when Poe is like, you know, telling the legend, uh, the, the legend parts. And uh, it's got that sense of style. It's a little bit different, but it's also much better looking than the rest of the film. And I felt it was too bad that the whole film didn't sort of follow that style. Um, but the biggest problem with this U.S. version is that it suffers from a couple things. One is the translations of certain aspects that I'd mentioned, you know, calling demons trolls. Um, the big bad guy they refer to as Evil Lord, and I believe in, Chi in the Chinese version he is Hundun, which is an actual sort of uh, Chinese mythological demon. And, you know, they don't really get much in, into naming him um, in, in the English version. But what's really bad about this is the sound engineering. The dubbing is not great, despite having talents like Jackie Chan and James Hong, but the audio mixing is terrible. Um, compare it with clips of the China version on like YouTube, and you'll immediately notice that the sound effects, the music is different. Um, the one thing that stands out, and this was pointed out in a review, I think, on Amazon, is that there's a scene where the trolls are attacking a village, and there's like a village guard, he's like banging a drum, and he's shouting... And in the Chinese version, you can very clearly hear the drum sound. And, you know, it sounds like a good audio mix. And in the English version, no, it's pretty much gone. Um, you just hear the, the dubbed over version. So it's a very poor audio engineering mix. It sounds like they just kind of captured the actors' voices and slapped them on and, and covered over uh, a lot of the secondary sounds. Uh, it also sounds like they changed music in places. Uh, and it seems like this is a film being targeted at kids in terms of the story, in terms of the reimagining. Um, and 
there's clearly some inspiration from the Kung Fu Panda films, but not really enough attention to detail and quality. I mean, the animation itself is fine, but the just the narrative and the story and the writing and the dialogue, I think, um, at least in terms of the translation, is not on par. It's I think adults may be a bit bored with this, and children may not be sure what to make of it. Um, it does kind of venture into some weird territory, though, at times, because it's like one of the, like, the lead troll is a female troll, and she transforms herself into this very sort of big-bosomed human avatar, and there are some gags around that, and it's just, it's weird in terms of some of the adult humor, um, even though this is primarily directed at kids. This did win several animation awards in 2015. It was nominated for a Golden Horse, but it ended up losing out to uh, McDull, Me, and My Mom. It was the highest grossing animated film, I think, in China uh, until Zootopia and Kung Fu Panda 3 came along, uh, both surpassing it. Uh, you can pick this up, the U.S. version, the translated version, very cheap on Amazon, um, but I'd say really... Uh, if you're a Monkey King fan like me and you want to see this, hold out and spend a little bit more on the forthcoming Hong Kong DVD, which um, at the time we're recording is going to come out in just a couple days. It's going to feature both the original Mandarin track and a new Cantonese dub um, and with English subtitles. And I, according to, I think, the Yes Asia site, the Cantonese dub has um, Wayne Lai, it doesn't say what role he's in, but he's the lead. Um, he's got the lead credit, so I'm guessing he's going to be voicing the Monkey King, which is interesting because he was actually famous for playing Pigsy back in the 1996 TVB version of uh, Journey to the West, which was uh, starred by Dickie Chung. So um, fans will recognize him. I think um, uh, Tazen is also, uh, you know, the, the local comedian. He's also one of the voices. I'm assuming he's going to be Pigsy. I could be wrong. Um, but the idea that with this DVD release, it's more expensive, but you're going to have both the original Mandarin with a much better audio track, I'm thinking, and a Cantonese option with English subtitles as well. Um, it's probably going to be a better investment overall. Um, so if you're an animation fan like I am and you're a Monkey King fan, um, it's kind of a no-brainer that you do want to see this at some point. Um, just, you know, keep your expectations in check and try to steer clear of the U.S. version if you can get it, if, you, if you've got the resources to get a hold of the Hong Kong DVD. Um, another thing to look out for, you know, these films too, and maybe Kevin can comment on this a little bit. Uh, this was a 2014 release, I think, um, or 2015, was it 2014 July... 2015, I forget, um, but it took a long time to come out, and it's only just now hitting, um, you know, 2015, 2007, yeah, so it's like over a year, almost a year and a half, because it was July, um, it's almost, it's just now hitting DVD uh, in Hong Kong, with a Hong Kong version, so for whatever reason, they really pump these animated films out very, very slowly, um, I think this was an Alibaba-produced film, and the one that they've done for this past year, 2016, I think is called Little Door Gods, which was out in January of last year. And there's no, I've been checking for that one, there doesn't seem to be any 
sign for a release here a year on uh, for that one to come out anytime soon on video, at least in terms of Hong Kong or international releases. So they really are very slow at getting these uh, animated features out. I guess maybe part of the mentality is to keep something out there to compete with Disney, to compete with, uh, you know, Pixar and to compete with DreamWorks. Uh, and the stuff that ends up taking up part of that market share, but as a you know as a f fan of animation, I'd really like to get to be able to see these a little bit sooner um, than they're getting released. Yeah, I mean, there's not much. The thing is, this film, uh, when it came out, no one thought that it would do this well. Um, I think it, it had a modest opening. Well, the film isn't um, isn't produced by Alibaba, by the way. Actually, it was produced by four fairly small. Companies, there actually isn't a real animation animation powerhouse unless unless you're making Pleasant Goat and 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 Big 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 Bad Wolf. That's pretty much the only sort of major animation um, animation house in China. But no one really expected this film to do well. But it slowly built up, and I think uh, whoever bought the rights to it wasn't really aware that is even worthy of their attention until they realize it made nine hundred and fifty six million million <laughs> B. Um, in China, which is pretty much, it, it actually is made more than See You Tomorrow, uh, and 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 Rainbow Tigers combined, um, and I think they didn't realize that it was going to be that big. And when it got this big, they decided to buy it up. And of course, you know, there's it takes time to subtitle it, to get to figure out a strategy for it, and to bring in the people to dub it back in English. Um, yeah, I it. it that's pretty much the only reason why. And and I don't remember this film opening in Hong Kong. There was a lot of talk about it when it was a huge hit. But um, I think it had a very small release here. But um, Chinese animation, just usually, of course, in Hong Kong, just like, like I said earlier, Hong Kong audiences have sort of an allergy towards anything that they smell is from China, um, including animation. I mean, you have a weird city that... We, we take in American animation, we take in Japanese animation, we take in animation from all over the world and, and, and you know, Chinese animation to them just sort of, you know, even the Pleasant Goat movies don't really do well here. Even though Pleasant Goat and Big Bang movies on TV all the time, um, they just can't get kids to go see it in cinemas because they still like Doraemon, they still like uh, uh, um, uh, One Piece or the, you know, Attack on the anime because a lot of the anime market in hong kong actually um is the age range uh goes much higher than you think because they're not just for kids you know you have the the sort of uh, high school age kids who watch anime um or high school up to 20s people who watch anime there's a there's a pretty big market and i think that market helped your name become such a huge hit here but how do you ask hong kong audiences to go watch an other journey to the west film right um, unless it has the name Stephen Chow attached to it. Yes, indeed. And yes, you're right. I, I, I got confused. Um, uh, Alibaba didn't release this one. Alibaba is releasing the one from 2016 that I just mentioned, um, Little Door Gods, which, um, again, who knows? That one didn't do, apparently didn't do near as well um, market-wise as the um, Monkey King Heroes Back. So who knows when and if that will get uh, an international or Hong Kong video release um, yeah um fox china actually also produced a uh, a cartoon a feature film last year um that actually i subtitled it so i remember this but it's it's actually a fox production um it um 
it bankrolled by Fox, but it it was based on a a fairly popular web series character, but that didn't do well even in China. So um, even though it has Hollywood bankroll and it has English a lot of English material already, um, it doesn't seem like it would uh, ever reach the shores of America. What was that called? This is where I'm trying to. I cannot remember it actually because <laughs> I'm so tired of. I can't remember the name. All right. Well, when it comes back to you, we can mention it on a future episode or if it hits video. Um, so yeah, there you have it. Again, if you are interested in this and you you know can't get access, you do have the U.S. version out there. But again, I'd say wait until you can get the international version. It'll be money probably much better spent. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Javor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. Allow me to direct you to one of those listeners, a fellow blogger who reached out, and his site is based in Canada, and he writes on film, and he has a focus on Asian cinema as well. Um, he's also keeping a 12-month journal of film festivals in Toronto, so if that's something that interests you, I'd urge you to go and check out his site. You can find his site at throwdown815.com. That's throwdown, like the movie throwdown, 815.com. You can go and see some of the things he has to say about film and as well follow along with his uh, sort of festival journal there in Toronto. Um, And, you know, he's got some good, interesting things to say, so check him out. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And we're over on Facebook at East S West S. I'd urge you, too, to follow along with Kevin and all the things that he's doing and writing about. Where can they catch up on what you're doing, sir? Well, before um, I go to that, the film is called Kwaibu in Space. I have to go to LinkedIn to, to remember. Kwaibu in Space. Kwaibu in Space. So it's a, so it's a science Kwaibu. fiction? Yes, yes. Actually, it's about a master inventor who who uh, invents a spaceship and travels with his friends to a strange alien planet. Very cool. Well, so, why in space? Um, so, you know, as I, yeah, I subtitle films. Um, you can read my material, um, my content uh, every month on Discovery and Silk Road magazines, uh, which you can get on the Cathay Pacific and Dragon Air flights. Um, no update on digital website yet. Um, it's coming soon working on it um but uh there is no new ipad issues on the uh, uh discovery uh app store anymore or on the ipad app store anymore but you can look back at past issues uh on the ipad app store look for the discovery app um there um you can also follow me on twitter i am at the golden rock that's one word at the golden rock um you can email me at the golden rock at gmail.com um yeah that that's it all right in our next show, episode 214, uh, we'll be talking about hopefully the first Hong Kong film of the 2017 year, a film called Cherry Returns, and I'm very curious to know who Cherry is and why she's returned. 
Uh, so Kevin will tell us more about that, hopefully. And I will hope to be looking at uh, Donnie Yen's return, along with the return of another guy, Xander Cage, a.k.a. Vin Diesel, uh, as they pair up together in the latest, I guess this is the third installment, because the second installment, I think, didn't have Vin Diesel. It had Ice Cube, I want to say, or was it Ice Tea? Yes, Ice Cube. Ice Cube, yeah. Um, so XXX or Triple X or however you want to say it, the return of Xander Cage, but more importantly, the return of Donnie Yen. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to that as well. All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, don't be a troll, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Sweet.